HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Friends of Firefighters, serving the FDNY community since 2001. Learn more at friendsoffirefighters.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th, for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. I make chocolate for you, miss? Yes, please. Thank you. Okay, now we are mixing it. It's very cold drink, like pretty much like milkshake, but it has a lot of salsa water in it. ready to drink. You can use this straw. Great, thank you. The egg cream. It's up there with bagels, pizza, and dirty water dogs as an iconic food that encapsulates New York's eating culture. But icons are not made overnight, and they don't persist without care and attention. On this week's episode of Meet and 3, we dive into the storied histories of some truly iconic dishes from New York City to Delhi. We'll wrap things up by talking about our own experiences cooking our favorite foods from restaurants here in New York City. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this is Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and Three. First up, it's back over to Ruby Walsh reporting from the New York Institution Gem Spa. Have you ever heard of an egg cream before? Strangely, it doesn't contain egg or cream. Served in an iced Coke glass, the drink looks like a frothy milkshake. It's chocolate syrup, milk, and club soda or seltzer. That's Carol Fontanelle, a Lower East Side native. She's been drinking egg creams for 80 years. It tastes like chocolate soda. The egg cream was invented right here in New York City in the early 1920s, 
And according to Carol, the refreshing drink was once on the menu of every corner store. Everybody loved egg creams. These days, the beverage is a rare sight. I don't know where you would go now for an egg cream, except to my house. (laughs) Most of the corner stores that Carol once patronized are long gone, but you can still find an egg cream if you seek it out. Gem Spa, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and St. Mark's Place, is said to be the birthplace of this classic New York drink. For a century, Gem Spa has served egg creams to everyone, from local kids to beat poets to punks on their way back from CBGBs. Up until recently, Gem Spa and the egg cream had fallen out of fashion. And after losing their cigarette and lottery license this past spring, the corner store was struggling to keep its doors open. But just in the last few months, people have begun stopping by again, and the soda fountain has been flowing. I spoke with Parul Patel, who is currently managing GemSpot on behalf of her ailing father. She told me about the rebrand strategy that has successfully revived interest in both the egg cream and her family's iconic store. So my family's owned GemSpot since 1986, but the store's been around 100 years. So it was operated mainly as a tobacco shop, but it, the egg creams, which is what we're best known for, have been made there since it opened in the early 20s. And the original soda fountain is still there. The Lower East Side has changed many times over since Gem Spa first opened. The area isn't the immigrant haven it once was, and it's no longer the site of New York's underground scene. On the streets, you're more likely to see men in sleek suits than punks decked out in leather. So the way Perul saw it, for Gem Spa to survive, it too would need to change. Then I also realized that in order to grow this business, I needed to add new things, and I needed to let the people who are now new members of this neighborhood what we do and what we're about. Perul capitalized on the iconic status of Gem Spa, and luckily she had a deep reservoir of material to work with. The storefront was the backdrop of the New York Dolls' debut album cover. It features in the film Desperately Seeking Susan, and it's the subject of a Basquiat painting. Parole began by creating an Instagram, using the platform to promote the store's history. Next, she introduced a black t-shirt with Gem Spa's yellow saloon-style logo on it. The shirt quickly garnered attention from the press, with Eater Magazine calling it the hottest look in streetwear. In the meantime, I spent a lot of time talking to customers to figure out more about what their needs are or what really brought them to our store. And I found out, above anything, it was their sentiment that drew them to our store. Once Perul let the public know that her family's store was struggling, people started to patronize again. In late September, Jeremiah Moss, author of Vanishing New York, worked with Save NYC to orchestrate a cash mob for Gem Spa. I thought it would be like 50 to 75 people. And they blew my mind away. I think about 300 people literally came into my store. And we had lines going all the way to the back of the store and out the door three hours straight. I mean, it was reminiscent of something out of Early 80s. I'm an optimistic person. They blew me away. Our customers kicked ass. Now, several weeks after the cash mob, New Yorkers continue to flock to St. Mark's for their corner store needs, even if it means walking an extra five minutes or crossing town. Rather than go to the local CVS, people are choosing to go to Gem Spa. People come to our store because it touches a part of them. It's not just the goods that we sell or the creams that we sell. There is some special memory that they have. There's a special place that we have in in their life. I I had an 85-year-old come in the other day for an egg cream. He and his wife were very, um, let's just say they were reserved when they walked in. And they're like, they say your egg cream is the best. 
we've had a lot of egg creams in our lives. They're like, you sure you have the best egg cream? I said, well, you could judge. So we made it. And the gentleman said, I owe you an apology. You just took me back 80 years. I'm 86 years old. You took me back to my childhood. People are still discovering the magic of Gem Spa. And Parul is far from giving up on the shop. I felt like there might be a way to save it. And I felt like if we leveraged that brand and the sentiment, we might be able to make it through and thrive with or without the licenses. And I still feel that. Intent on making the business thrive, Parul is working on several projects to bring even more people in. Soon, you'll be seeing the store fill up with new merchandise. long sleeve gem spa shirts, logoed egg cream glasses, and a glass cabinet with a curated collection of artwork inspired by the store. Photographer David Godless has already gifted at least 100 photographs to the shop. Gem Spa isn't going anywhere. Not if Parul Patel can help it. But to continue, they will need the sustained patronage of locals. For more information on how to support Gem Spa, check out their Instagram, at Best Egg Cream. Next, we have the story of an iconic dish that is even more significant at this time of year. You might be familiar with Goattober, started by HRN's founder Patrick Martins and previous executive director Aaron Fairbanks. Every October, restaurants around the globe take part in the month-long initiative to reduce waste in the dairy industry by creating a market for meat from young male goats who cannot produce milk. One restaurant making a name for the delicacy in New York is Duck's Eatery, at the center of our next story. Nicole Cornwall takes us into the kitchen to learn about the restaurant's signature dish. Keeping a restaurant up and running in New York is tough for sure. Given the volume of restaurants opening and closing every year, sometimes it's more about survival than serving food. Within this unpredictable landscape stands Duck's Eatery, a small restaurant in the East Village, celebrating its eighth year serving its most famed and iconic dish, the goat neck. I sat down with Will Horowitz, executive chef of Duck's, to hear the tale of the goat neck and why it's the only thing that hasn't changed on the menu in eight years. I was living in uh, Nepal, and out there there's a real famous dish called paya. Paya is typically like a goat feet or lamb's feet stew and with pretty heavy curry, and uh, it's really, I would say, farmy and gelatinous, and I know that sounds bad, but like to me that's just fucking delicious. And so when I first came back, and I had the chance to open up Ducks, I wanted to do a paya. Will and his sister Julie co-own Ducks Eatery, as well as Harry and Ida's, the celebrated deli and meat supply, also in the East Village. Ducks was only open six months when Guy Fieri featured the goat neck on diners, drive-ins, and dives, which gave the dish instant fame and attention. That's got to be in the top three best goat dishes I've ever had. But for Will... The more important origin story of their signature dish is simply in its preparation, a concept that became the inspiration for all the experiments that followed. So a lot of our methodology was looking at farmers and, and, and butchers and saying, hey, what aren't you using? You know, what's going to waste? Um, and I think in that we found very much the narrative of our own story and style of cooking here and certainly the birth of the goat neck. At the heart of Ducks, there's a philosophy of maintaining a kitchen that focuses on sustainable heritage cooking techniques of the past. This passion for curing, preserving, smoking, and brining 
drives everything in that tiny kitchen. And the one thing that I want to maintain that's consistent is knowing where my food came from and really having a responsible relationship to what I'm eating and the people that make it. And so in order to do that for myself, we started doing these same techniques on whole vegetables and whole fruit. Will's dedication to these heritage methods has expanded over the years to suit a huge roster of experimental dishes at Ducks, like the smoked eel, this summer's watermelon steak, cantaloupe burger, or carrot hot dog. I asked Will if he thought preparing food with this level of patience helps create more iconic dishes. You know, I, like I said, I think that I can have generally a positive effect on the world. And for me, that's what's most important. You know, creating better dishes out of something that was considered somebody else's waste, essentially, is making money while doing something better for all people around. You're helping a struggling farmer or fisherman. You're helping a struggling business. You're helping a struggling community. And so the idea that what I'm doing is outlandish or crazy or bizarre to some people is frustrating for me because all I'm simply pitching is that we take a second to look behind us before moving ahead. It seems the phenomenon of the goat neck paved the way for a much larger goal than fame. To hear more from Will, listen to episode 80 of Why Food, wherever you find your podcasts. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Friends of Firefighters, serving the FDNY community since 2001. Friends of Firefighters is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to providing free, independent, and confidential mental health counseling and wellness services to active and retired FDNY firefighters and their family members. Friends of Firefighters was born within days of September 11, 2001, through the performance of several unobtrusive acts of kindness offered by the local community. Over the past 18 years, Friends of Firefighters has expanded to meet the growing needs of the FDNY community. Today, the organization provides a safe haven in an old restored firehouse in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where New York City firefighters, active and retired, can relax, meet with their peers, receive counseling with no stigma attached, exchange information, and access an array of services specific to their needs. To learn more and find out how you can get involved, go to friendsoffirefighters.com. Welcome back to Meet and Three. Next up, Jessica Kreinchich introduces us to a Paratha hotspot in India. Scooters and rickshaws weave through the packed streets as people haggle with shopkeepers over their wedding outfits for the season, and the heat and spices from large metal walks mingle with the engine exhaust in the air. Writer and native of Delhi, India, Shamali Vorerkar takes us on a trip to one of the most famous places in Delhi where hungry shoppers have been buying paratas, North Indian stuffed flatbreads, for over 150 years. Parathe Wali Gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. It's nestled in the middle of the chaotic and crowded market of Chandni Chok. The market itself is about 300 years old, but this lane really became home to the paratha shops in the 1870s. Chandni Chowk was established under Mughal reign, 
So the majority of the foods sold in the area tend to be delicious meat-based dishes from the Muslim community. This lane, however, is unusual in that its food is strictly vegetarian. It was started by Brahmins, the class of Hindus who are descendants of priests and teachers, and who often eat in strict accordance with a purely vegetarian diet. Some of the shops that still stand there today belong to that era, making them almost 150 years old. Pandit Gaya Prasad Shiv Charan Parathewala is one of these original shops. I talked with the shop's sixth generation owner, Mr. Anil Sharma. How long have you been working at the shop? Well, I'm 58 now, and I've been working here since I was a kid, about 12 to 13 years old. What makes your parathas different? Normally you pan fry parathas one by one. You could actually call this a kachori. It's deep fried. All the vegetable stuffings, cauliflower, okra, and bitter gourd are all raw. They cook in the hot ghee of the wok. It's really crispy. The parathas of this gali are very different from the ones you'd find at your average North Indian dining table. A homemade paratha is usually a simple dough of flour and water stuffed with cooked spiced vegetables and pan-fried in clarified butter or ghee. Here, however, you'll find a hot wok filled with ghee as the cook expertly throws in one paratha after the next, deep-frying them simultaneously until the heat steams the raw vegetables inside the paratha and turns the outside a beautiful golden brown. What you end up with is an amazingly crispy bread, ironically far less oily than the homemade version. What time do you start your day? We start our day at 5. The shop opens at 7. It takes about two hours to do the morning prep. What time do people start arriving in the morning? You'll find customers lining up as soon as we open at 7. Do you ever run out of food? No, that's never happened. We just stop serving past 10.30 at night. If you arrive after that, no matter where you're coming from, and everyone always says they've traveled a long way, we won't see you, because we've got to get the shop ready for the next day. Where do most of your customers come from? Mostly from the state of Bihar, although when we started, people would come from Uttar Pradesh or Madhi Pradesh, where my family's from. Everyone would grab a plate and dispose of it themselves. Being the country's capital, Delhi is a center of economic activity and cultural fusion. Bihar is a state 550 miles to the east of the city, and migrants from states like Bihar, Uttar Pradesh, and Madhya Pradesh find Mr. Sharma's paratha preparation reminds them of home. And this taste of home comes from a long family legacy that Mr. Sharma is keeping alive. How did your great-grandfather come up with the idea of opening a paratha shop? When my great-grandfather started the shop, you'd only get four stuffings in the parathas. Potato, lentils, chickpea flour and fenugreek, and unstuffed, or plain. Then when I took over in the 80s, I introduced all these new stuffings. I made and tested them myself, then I fixed them and added them to our menu. Which paratha sells the most? The green chili paratha. They all sell well, but that's the most popular. Was that one of your additions? Yes, that was added by me. Then all the other shops had to add it too. It's clear that Chandichok is just as bustling as it was 300 years ago. And with passionate vendors like Mr. Sharma, the Parate Vali Gali will continue the legacy of providing shopkeepers with delicious, crispy breads for years to come. So 
So far, we've talked about iconic dishes that require travel or a dinner reservation to enjoy. Life can often get in the way of going out to eat a dish or enjoy a beverage that we love. For our last story this week, Kevin Barnum finds out how we can capture some of that culinary magic at home. Most of us have one food or dish that we simply can't get enough of. It seems that we can only find these dishes at a particular restaurant. But what happens when we try to make these foods ourselves? I asked two members of our production team to tell me about their attempts to recreate iconic restaurant dishes. For Kat Johnson, it was celery toasts. Okay, so an iconic dish from a New York City restaurant that I absolutely love is the celery toasts from Prune in the East Village. For Ruby Walsh, it was a dish from a restaurant that she had been eating at for a very long time. So the first time I went to Veselka would have actually been when I was a month old. And my favorite thing to get there is the cold summer borscht. But obstacles arose that kept Kat and Ruby from eating these dishes. So they decided to make them themselves. Kat found a recipe that worked great. And then you can top your toast with blue cheese and celery and lemon juice and olive oil. And you've got just like the most simple but decadent toast appetizer you could ever hope for. And you don't have to leave your house to eat it. Ruby had more mixed results. But I did make it in the end and it was okay. It's hard to get the vinegar level that Vasalka has. To learn more about what it's like trying to recreate our favorite dishes, I talked to Kathy Irway, host of HRN's Eat Your Words. Kathy took not eating out to the extreme, as detailed in her book, The Art of Eating In, and in her blog, Not Eating Out in New York, both of which explore her personal challenge of avoiding restaurant food for two years. Her journey started with a meal that didn't quite satisfy her. And it was like a overly cooked burger and it costs way too much money i'm like wait i could totally like have a lot of fun you know perfecting a burger with my friends who are seated here with me at this you know not even a nice atmosphere restaurant (laughs) and like we could buy the best cuts of meat we could buy some amazing buns and tomatoes right and and we would spend a lot less for that by not eating out Kathy had an opportunity to make dishes she had only ever eaten in restaurants, like New England clam chowder. As it turned out, the first time I did try to make it, and with very little sort of like prep or research research behind it, it just turned out really great. And I think that that's everyone's biggest fear is that they're going to try something and it's going to be disappointing. And sure, that might happen sometimes, but actually, you know, you'll be surprised a lot of times. Despite some challenges, like not being able to recreate dim sum, her two years of eating in ultimately showed Kathy and her friends a new way to view food. We all kind of decided that we liked cooking and having a dinner party at home. Maybe it was a potluck or something like that better. because, And then it became like a way to like show off who you are and get to know people better. Kathy's experience teaches us that we can cook our favorite iconic meal at home and have a great time while doing it. That's our show. We hope we leave you this week feeling inspired to revisit an iconic dish or empowered to make one yourself. Next week's show is a spooky edition of Meat and Three, a perfect blend of food and creepy stories. See you next week. Meat and Three is produced by Liza Hamm, Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with lead production this week by Nicole Cornwall. 
Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app and leave us a rating and review. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast.